Let's turn to Isaiah, chapter 33. And it says this, he says, The Lord is exalted. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. The fear of the Lord, did everyone catch that? The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Now I'm going to, I'm going to go into that in a little bit. But the Lord is exalted. You know, whether we like it or not, whether we exalt him in our own life or not, the Lord is exalted. And I, I remember once I talked to a, a guy who used to be Christian. He's no longer Christian. He's turned away completely from God. And I said to him, you know what? He's still on the throne. Just because you don't think he is, it doesn't change the fact that he is. And I'll put a lot more trust in the Bible than I would in his opinion. Who's the same? Who puts this above men's opinions? Yeah? And you should. Because if there is an opinion on this planet that is superior to this Bible, I'd like to hear it. And I don't think men have an opinion superior to the Bible. Who believes that? So should we be in the Word of God continually? Should we not be looking to it for our salvation, for our hope, for our future, for insight into how the judgment is going to be, what it's going to be like when we stand before Jesus on that day? Shouldn't we be looking to it to be how we should be every single day? Do you know, not, do you know many Christians don't read the Bible? I'm saying that and I'm wondering if, how many of you feel guilty right now when I said that. You know, the Bible is it. God said, here it is, guys. I give it to you. I created you. I know how you work best. Here's your manual for life. Use it and use it wisely. And we can be so flippant with this thing. Who knows what I'm talking about? Pick it up some days when you feel like it. Pick it up another day. Occasionally, let a few days go by. I don't need it. You know what I mean? But who knows when you're in the Word continually, things happen in God. Who's had that experience as a Christian? Yeah? Who, when they were a new Christian, was in the Bible a lot? Yeah? Were things changing in your life quite rapidly in those days? Yeah? It's like that. It's like going to the gym. You know, you go to the gym continually and you develop. But if you stop going and you, you can't, improve physically if you're not there. Do you know what I mean? Unless you're doing exercise at home. But you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, the concept is the same. We get strong in God when we spend time in the Word. And we just got to remember this. The Lord is exalted. He will hold us all accountable. I believe God's placed me in this church to preach a message of preparation for the judgment of God. When Jesus returns and things are finished as they are and the judgments begin after that time, we won't go into the timing of all that right now, but one day, who knows, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ. Who knows that? Yeah? Do you let that affect you? How many of you let that affect you? How many of you think about it every morning when you wake up? 
How many of you wake up thinking, I'm going to be judged by Jesus Christ? Yeah? Do you do that every morning? Should not that be the way that we start our day? Shouldn't it change us? Shouldn't it like go, correction, go that way. Careful what I say, careful what I do, careful what I touch, careful who I listen to, careful what I say to people. Shouldn't that, the knowing and the knowledge that you're going to stand before a holy God that sees everything that you've ever done in your whole life, shouldn't that not make us walk the straight path? Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. The fear of the Lord keeps us on the straight path. If you don't have fear of God, you're going to go astray. If I didn't fear my dad, I would have went astray as a youth. And you know what? I went astray when I stopped fearing my dad. When his smack didn't worry me anymore. You know what I mean? But when I feared him, I walked straight, straight a path. I tried to get away with things because I knew he couldn't see what I did in private. You know, I was a naughty boy. But does God see in private? His eyes are on you continuously. Soon as you profess Christianity, God is watching. God follows you around. He sees how you conduct yourself. He sees what your life is like. He watches very carefully. He's very concerned about his children. You know why I'm saying this? Well, I, I know because God's telling me to. I, I had no plan to say any of this. God's honor. How do you do it? How do you do God's honor? God's honor, whatever. <laughs> I had no plan to say any of this today. I just said, God, say what you want me to say. I give you some scriptures, the, Lord, uh, the Lord's give me some scriptures, and I say it from there. But there is one thing I have, as I woke up this morning, God quickened a, uh, something that I wanted to read to you. Now, a body, a body, a bo- the body of Christ, or especially this body, it could be related to, must be prepared in repentance and humility for every outpouring of the Spirit. Just one sentence. Listen to that again. A body must be prepared in repentance and humility for every outpouring of the Spirit. For this church or for any church to have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it must be prepared through deep, deep repentance and conviction from sin and and through a humble state. And you know what? The humble, uh, sorry, the people that can't be humble will not repent. If you walk out of here today going, oh man, that guy just tries to bring conviction on me all the time, then you're, you're not humble. That's simple. That's all it is. Because a wise Christian will heed these words because I know these words are true from God. Does he call us to repentance? Yeah. What was his theme message? What was the theme message of Jesus Christ? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or is near. That's the theme message. That's what came, it was the thrust of the New Testament. Because John the Baptist preached it, all the disciples preached it. The thrust of the New Testament was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Should we not be preaching that still? The kingdom of heaven is, if it was at hand 2,000 years ago, how close is it now? Even more, even more. You can nearly feel like you can reach out and touch the return of Christ now. It is that close. He is coming. 
And what I fear, this is my greatest fear, is that when I stand before Jesus with the church and the church stands before Jesus and we're not in the place that we should be. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be held accountable. Who knows teachers are going to be held accountable? You know, it's a big risk for me to get up here and preach. It really is. Any of you guys that are preaching up here, it's a big risk. As soon as we assume to be a teacher, we are going to be held in a higher level uh, in judgment, uh, more exact. We'll be judged more harshly because of that. So that's a big, big responsibility. Who knows? Who wants my position? Anyone? You can have the heart of judgment. (laughs) But so... When you have that responsibility, this is why I can't understand why they're preaching like they're preaching today. Why the church has gone so wayward today. Why the church goes out there and does not preach repentance anymore. It preaches, come to Jesus and receive all the blessings from God because God lives to give you blessings. He, give, he lives to give you everything you want. Your heart's desire, he will fulfill. Is that the gospel? It's nothing at all the gospel. What does he say? Unless you take up your cross and follow me, you're not even worthy of me. He calls us to martyrdom. But no one teaches that anymore. So when you teach it, it's so foreign, people look at you strange. What's this guy preaching martyrdom? But who knows? That's the gospel. Who knows? The, The 12 disciples got it. They understood that. What happened to them? They were martyred except for John but he was martyred but he survived according to tradition he survived the boiling of oil he was thrown into a vat of hot oil and he didn't die because God had to have him go to Patmos in exile and write the book of Revelation you know so the gospel must be preached and it's hard who knows it's hard sometimes yeah yeah but it still must be preached it's got to be preached and I'll keep preaching it and the good thing is I I don't have to keep my job here in the sense of keep the paycheck rolling in. I don't get a paycheck. (laughs) So I can just preach. I'm free to preach. I don't have to soften the blow so that uh, I make you all feel good so you keep putting money in the offering. We actually tell you don't put it in the offering. (laughs) You know, only if God's led you. Apart from that, don't put it in if you feel obliged because they can pass. I'd rather it not. And I believe the church is gone this way due to money, due to having to keep the masses coming in, due to there having to be massive offerings. Of course you've got to change your message. That's why I won't preach in these mega churches. They won't let me. I'll preach one of these messages and, you know, half the people walk out. And, yep. <laughs> the microphone will just be cut off. I'll be removed from the pulpit. But who knows it must be preached. And all the more as we see the day approaching because it's coming. Jesus is coming. Do you know we have strongholds over this church? There's some very, very heavy strongholds on this church. It's on all the churches, but my concern is for this flock. And these are things that we must overcome by the power of God. And I'm not saying this into anyone in particular. I'm saying this out because uh, most of these things, quite a few people here could be suffering from them um, and a few of these things you know I've been I've fallen under over time and uh, we've all fallen under them but we must get above them first one is hardness of heart 
there can be hardnesses of heart in us. We can be trying to block what the Spirit is saying. We can try to resist what the Spirit wants us to do and how he wants us to change. Who resists prayer in this room? Don't put your hands up, but who resists? Who feels they resist prayer or forget to pray? Yeah? We need to pray. Christians are known for their prayer life. That's the sign that you're a Christian. You know, if someone meets you, and, or actually I've always said this, if you ask an atheist what should a Christian be doing, and the Christian, they would say, well, they should firstly be praying. They should be reading the Bible. We should have more atheists teaching in church. They'd have a good message. They'd tell the Christians how to act. They would actually give you a better rundown, a more exact rundown of how Christians should be, because I've talked to atheists, some atheists, and they can tell me more clearly and articulate better how a Christian should be than Christians can. Because they get Christians can get very, very mixed up, you know, through doctrinal confusion. But you ask an atheist and they'll say, you know, he shouldn't swear, shouldn't curse, he shouldn't drink, he shouldn't smoke, he shouldn't do all these things, shouldn't be watching pornography, shouldn't be, you know, um, what else? Shouldn't be loving the world. They should be living for God, should be praying, should be holy, should be approachable, lovable, forgiving. The list goes on. And anyone can tell you that, can't they? You don't, it's not rocket science. Actually, this is what I was saying. I think I was saying it to, I uh, can't remember who it was now, about the Bible and the confusion with, with some doctrines. And, uh, and I, I, I just said to him, you know what? It's, this isn't rocket science. This is a really simple book to understand. Doctrines aren't hugely difficult, especially the basic doctrines. Okay, eschatology, you have to, you know, that can be a little bit troubling at times, and you need to look in, you know, you need to be good at arithmetic and stuff, you know. But basic doctrines of the faith, it's not rocket science. You don't need to be, have gone to a Bible college for five years. You don't need to be a theologian to understand it. It's black and white. It's plain as day. That's why I can preach, because I'm a very simple fellow. I need things to be really, really simple and easy. Yet the doctrines of the church get fully mixed up. And so the Christians get mixed up. They start to think, oh, grace is, means I can do whatever I want. I can sin every weekend, and I'm fine because I'm under grace. Does the Bible say that? It's not a license to sin. We're free from sin. We're not free to sin. We're free from sin. The Holy Spirit was given us to give us power over sin so that we don't yield to the sin nature. Because that is the war that we have to wage every day. And we have to wage it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who knows this? So it's very simple. It's very simple. And look, the strongholds over this church are alcohol, smoking, drugs, cursing and swearing and gossiping, lying, pornography, Satanism in forms. I've, I've met some people over time and I'm, I'm sure they're not who they say they are. Delusion. Who knows delusion is over some people? I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. <laughs> uh, hatred. 
Anyone ever felt hatred? Anyone knows what hatred feels like? Yeah? Is it a, a rotten thing? Does it rot you to the core? And you know, closely with, uh, along with hatred is unforgiveness. Have you ever said, I could never forgive that person for such and such? Has anyone ever said that? Well, can Jesus forgive you if you can't forgive others? How many Christians I've heard say, I could never forgive them for that? And I'm thinking, well, you've just cancelled your salvation. There it is. You can't be saved. <laughs> Jesus forgave you. You forgive that person. It's your duty. God's forgiven you for a greater, a greater thing than you have to forgive that person. You know the parable? They, this man was forgiven much and he goes out and he, a guy who owed him much less than what he owed the king, he didn't forgive him. He got him locked up for it. That's how we can be, you know. Make sure you have no unforgiveness in your heart. Last. Last is a, a big one. I'm not saying it over any particular person because I don't know how you all live, but I'm just putting these words out there. If any of these things have taken a hold of you, be aware. Love of the world. I won't talk about that and shopping and stuff like that. But, uh, sorry, did, did I look at you, Venus? Sorry. She can take a joke. I don't know how to classify love of the world. Is going shopping and women, they really enjoy shopping. It's therapy. <laughs> okay, it's therapy. <laughs> so we got delusion in the church. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, that, that one I said before, hardness of heart. All right, I'll try to start my sermon now. Isaiah 33 the Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times. The sure foundation. Have you any other foundation in life that is greater than Jesus Christ? Could you rest your hope on anyone else? What about Buddha? Could Buddha do it for you? No. What about Baha'u'llah? Of the Baha'i faith, or the Bab, <laughs> the Bab. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh. It's not funny. It's serious. But um, could you rest your hope in men? But why do we rest our hope on Jesus Christ? Because he's the only man that died and was buried and was raised to life after three days, and then he was seen to have ascended to heaven by disciples who died for that witness. I think that's credibility. We have a credible faith. Man, rest your hope in that and live for that. Place everything of yourself into that. Sell yourself out to Jesus Christ. Totally committed. Like, Jesus Christ, you, you did everything for me. You, you know, I'm going to do everything for you now. You know, because he's done it all. He is our sure foundation in these times. And... I tell you what, you will never realize the full extent of just how amazingly powerful this knowledge is until you're on your deathbed, until your moments before you're about to die. When you are slipping into the death realm, this is all you're going to be concerned about. What I'm saying right now about the sure foundation in your times, this is the only thing you're going to be thinking about. Amen? Who knows that's true? 
And why should it be that it's only at that time that you're fully consumed with this? Shouldn't it be every day? Shouldn't we live every day with that knowledge and have that knowledge transform us and help us to walk a better Christian life so that we don't live out our last few hours repenting and weeping and mourning? You know, if you were told you've got two hours to live, I tell you what, the, that dawning on you will change you. And if you have lived a wicked Christian life, you will be repenting like never before because you're, you will suddenly get this revelation, I'm about to meet with Jesus two hours' time. I better clean up. I better apply the blood. I better wash myself. I better become a good Christian. I better become a holy man in two hours. Would that be scary? Don't leave it to then. Live it now. Live it now. Apply the blood every day. Live for Christ now so you don't have to be in that stressful position right at the end of your life. Amen. He will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store. A rich store of salvation. He is so uh, generous with his salvation. I'm praying God is going to be a more lenient God than what I've been led to believe from Scripture with Christians who haven't lived quite as they should have that through, you know, deathbed confessions. That, and look, I won't go into the doctrines of what I write now because I could get completely led away from this sermon, but there will be many professing Christians in hell. There will be many people that won't, make the grade because they didn't live for Christ. They had a confession but lived for the devil. They lived for another God. They lived by the other God's standards. They said Jesus, Jesus, Jesus on Sunday and lived for the devil all week and they seriously followed the ways of their own wicked heart all week long and then they come back to church and they praise Jesus again every Sunday. If you were God, how would you feel about that situation? I'm not saying anyone in here is like that, but check your heart. Check your heart. If you feel it, I feel wicked sometimes. Like when I say that, I don't mean I go out and do wicked things and you know, I'm not a wicked person, but I feel, I, I feel unclean. I feel like, God, I've just messed up that day. I just really stuffed up that day. I said things I shouldn't, I did things, I thought things I shouldn't, a whole range of things. You know, ended up in situations that I could have avoided if I was just wiser. Yeah. Let's see if I finish that scripture. Rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. So let's have a quick look at it. This Psalm 96, just turn into the book of Psalms. Verse 4 to 6, and it says, For great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. So the key to this treasure is the fear of the Lord. And it says here, he is to be feared above all God. So the Bible tells us to fear him. The reason I'm bringing this up is because there's a movement in the church and 
it's weakened the church considerably that you don't have to fear God. Why fear God? Is it God of love? Why fear him? Well, let's read what the scriptures tell us. When men say that, I always think, well, is, can you back that up in scripture? Does it says, say anywhere in the Bible, don't fear God, he's a God of love? Have anyone ever read that scripture? I haven't. Man says it, but what does God say? 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 11. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We all must appear before the judgment seat. We all must appear. We will one day, guys, try to visualize it. We will one day all be standing together before God, before Jesus, the judgment seat. We will stand there and judgments will be made. It's going to be a frightening day, a powerful day. Are you ready? Are you ready for that judgment? Are you ready to stand before Jesus Christ? If you died today, are you ready to stand before Jesus Christ? This is the question. Should not this consume the Christian? I think this is the essence of Christianity. The essence, judgment is coming. It should change us. But you know what I'm afraid of? And this is what, as a... As a pastor, a minister, a teacher in this church, I'm afraid that as I preach it on a Sunday, everyone goes home Sunday afternoon and forgets every word I said and resumes life as normal. I'm always afraid of that. and I'm, I'm praying, God, can't you please do a spiritual change in everyone's heart so that they go through the next week living a passionate Christian life, completely transformed, in attitude. I'm always praying that now, but because as after years of preaching, I sort of, you know, you start to wonder, is it just another Sunday, another sermon? And then we just, you know, wash, us up, wash it off us, you know, get on with the day sort of thing. Or does it get in and change us deep to the core? But you know what? To let it change you, you must be humble. You must receive it with humility. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 11. And it, so since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to persuade you to fear the Lord, to fear the Lord and let it change the way you live. Philippians, let's turn there for quickly. I won't be getting through all this sermon, as you can understand. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Therefore, my dear friends, am I in the right scripture? Yep. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Who's working out their salvation with fear and trembling in here? Put your hand up if you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling? Should that be? It sh it, we should be, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, you're going to see why in a minute, because I'm going to read some scriptures from the Psalms and Proverbs, just a handful. I've done a whole complete sermon on these scriptures. 
Um, so important that we live with this in mind. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's God who wills and causes you to act and do good. It's God who does it. But if we don't fear God, he can't will that in you. He can't act that out in you because you, if, without, if you don't fear the God, you won't pray. If you don't fear God, you won't pray. If you don't fear God, you won't read the Bible. You won't follow with all your heart. If you don't fear God, you won't go to church. It's a whole range of things that will take place. If you don't fear God, you won't live the Christian life as you should. And then all you've got to look forward to is the fear of the judgment. And that day when we face God. And I just want to be cleared of my responsibility by that stage. I want to say that I've preached it. I preached it. I did my best to get it in. Psalm 25. Let's go back into the Psalms. Psalm 25, verses 12 to 14. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. See, if you fear the Lord, the Lord will instruct you in the way chosen for him. He'll spend his days in prosperity. If you fear the Lord, you will spend your days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He confides. He will tell you his deeper secrets. He makes his covenant known to them, to those that fear him. That's a pretty powerful scripture. makes you want to fear the Lord more. Let's go to Psalm 34. Who wants the angel of the Lord to encamp around you? Yeah? It says this, the angel... Hang on, missed it. 34 verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. And the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So the lions may go hungry. But you, if you fear the Lord, will not go hungry. He will look after you and see you through the days ahead. Psalm 31. Let's move a little bit back. 31 verse 19, and it says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. So his goodness is bestowed upon those who fear him. Let's go to Psalm 33, 18. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him and those whose hope in, is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. He will keep you alive in famine. And it all is due to fearing God. It all comes down to fearing God. Psalm 147, go to the end of the Psalms. And by the way, there is a few dozen more scriptures on the fear of the Lord just in the Psalms alone. 147, verse 10. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. For the Lord delights in those who fear him. He will delight in you if you fear him and those who put their hope in his unfailing love. 
Go to the Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord adds length to life. Who wants a longer life? Anyone want a longer life? That's good. Well, fear God. Fear the Lord adds length to life, uh, but the years of the wicked are cut short. And Proverbs 16.6, perhaps this one is a good one for, uh, for us at the moment. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. That's meaning Jesus is so love, full of love, so faithful, and he laid his life down on a cross, and he's atoned for our sin. Uh, but through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. How does that work out? If you fear God, you avoid evil. How does that work out? But yeah, you, you're more careful to keep his commands, aren't you? You're more careful to watch over your life. You're more careful before you do this or that or say this or that because you're conscious of God. You're conscious of his, of his, his watching you. And you're fearful of him. You're very, very careful what you do. You're very careful what you say. Amen? Who knows this is true? Well, the Bible says it, so it must be true. Who has that much confidence in the Bible that, that you can say, if the Bible says it's true? Yeah? At least I'm speaking to the choir. Yeah. We've got to at least have that one thing set in stone, that if the Bible says it, it's true. Okay, there's translational discrepancies. Who knows that? But if, the, if all the translations seem to say it, all the proper, well, at least half-decent to decent translations say it, then it must be true. That's the confidence you have to have in the Word because then you're on a sure foundation and from that point you can avoid evil because you, the Bible makes very, very plain and clear what evil is. Who thinks what I'm saying today is needed today? Yeah? Who thinks we need every now and then to have a sermon like this? Yeah? I don't do them every week, do I? For any of you that think I do. It's not an every week occurrence. But we need to hear it. Because my, my prayer for all of you is that you will shine before Jesus Christ. That you will be shining examples of the power of God working in your life. That you'll overcome sin and you'll be known as an overcomer in the kingdom of heaven. That through the input, the little bit of input I give and many other things that you're stimulated to look into, that it will come as a whole to cause you to become a powerful, influential Christian in these days. Who wants that? Who wants to be an influential Christian? Or who doesn't care that much? <laughs> Bill's hand went down real quick then. <laughs> I know, it was up from the question before. <laughs> uh, what's, what's it all about anyway? Are we supposed to be influential in our society? Aren't we supposed to be able to reach people and, and tell them about Jesus and see them impacted? You know, set in your heart, set in your heart now. I'm, I'm just going to put this out to you. Set in your heart today that this week you're going to attempt to talk to one person about Jesus. Yeah? I think that'll be a good goal. Just one person. Try to find one person. And if... If, you know, if it doesn't work out, Sunday morning before you come to church, run over to Kentucky Fried, walk up to someone or something. You know, just, <laughs> just try to do it. You might be surprised how effective that is. 
But just try to find one opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus. You know, I, one, one little thing I try to always do is if I don't get the opportunity to talk to them, I always say, God bless you. Who always says, God bless you when you walk away from someone? When you, you know, you shake their hand or whatever and see you later, God bless you. Try to always find that opportunity because it just sort of puts it out there. Because I said it to a lady one day and she, she like looked shocked like that, like she hadn't heard it before. And I remember someone said it to me once and it blew me away because before I was a Christian, I'm like, wow, God bless you. That sort of impacted me. Actually, I'd just come to the Lord at that time, but I'd never heard anyone. No one had ever said, God bless you to me. My whole life. Fancy that. Yeah. So we are the Christians. Why aren't they saying, God bless you anymore? <laughs> Not just when people sneeze, are they? The thing is, is we've got to ask God for divine opportunities. We've got to ask him, open up a, an opportunity today. You know, I was just talking with Bill and I know Dave's in the same situation. Now they seem to talk to more people about Jesus than anyone I know and both of them put their business out on a limb in a sense when they do it because both of them are usually at work and the, the risk is is that person might never come back and buy another thing or ask for another service. They could get that badly get their nose out of joint. Do you know what I mean? So for them to speak to people about Jesus, it's actually could be threatening their business in a sense, in a small way. But it doesn't stop them. Because ultimately, and this is what you've got to keep in mind when you're doing it, is that God's the one that gives you the business anyway. So if you speak for him, he'll open up another door. That person might get their nose out of joint, never come back, but God will send you three more as a, to compensate. You know? So just look for the opportunities. Take the time. Just be conscious of it. Just go through your day consciously aware that you've, you, know, you want to try to help someone find Jesus. It doesn't have to be much, but you'll find a lot of the time people, it'll just sort of, um, if, you, if you've got it filled in your mind, that you'll naturally progress towards the topic, you know, and you're looking for those little opportunities. And like Bill said, you know, if someone says, oh, if they've got a pendant on or something or, or you know, a cross or something, oh, is that, are you a Christian? You're wearing a cross. We should actually do a sermon on it, shouldn't we? On what, how to... How to evangelize, how to get, you know, just, and, and there's quite a few good books too that have been written on just opening liners, one liners that you can sort of to break into conversations. And I think it's important. And then we all head off down to Run the Mall together as a church or something like that. No. We'll see. Well, it's, we should do it. <laughs> and go shop. The girls disappear shopping and the men will go out evangelizing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we love God more than the world. Amen. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll stop on that, I think, guys because the next screen will keep us here for another hour. All right, thank you, Lord, for this time. And, uh, Lord, I thank you for just what you're doing here. And uh, I just pray that all the words that were spoken today would be received, um, uh, that they would see that it was said with love and, and not harshness, and uh, that your spirit will just move in each and every one of our hearts and help us to uh, really grow in you and uh, come, get to a new level. Lord, I pray for new creatures, new creatures to shine in this church that would become a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God so that we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his light so that, Lord, that we could be the people that you uh, would be uh, look upon with favor and that you could bless us and protect us and, uh, and provide for us in times of trouble. 
And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you really do uh, a powerful, powerful work in all of us. Lord, I pray for uh, an increase of prayer in this church. I pray that husbands and wives will come together and pray on a daily basis. Um, I pray that, uh, that each and every one of us will, will take, the, take up the mantle of prayer in their homes and pray with all their hearts and see their lives changed and transformed and that families improved and, and f- situations Im- improving and getting better. Because we all know in our heart that it is through that that your blessings come upon a people. So And c- turn this church into a praying church that we gather together weekly and pray. Thank you for last Wednesday and how powerful it was. Uh, I pray for more and more of that in your wonderful name. So just be with us now and, and bless this time of fellowship and uh, watch over us and be with us in the name of Jesus. Amen.